In his book Predictably Irrational, Dan Ariely has pointed out quite a few amusing insights in the irrationality and the reasoning behind this irrationality of the consumers. What we are focusing on here, however, is the combined work of Chuck Palahniuk, Jim Alls, and David Fincher. Fight Club in its 151 minutes of runtime, also points out a lot of such irrationality while consuming products or services. Fun fact, Fight Club was written in 1996 where Palahniuk has made narrative remarks about these irrationalities, while Ariely published his in 2008 where he not only validates the concepts employed by Palahniuk but also, adds details and the explanations behind such irrationalities. Let's walk through different sequences in order to completely understand the genius of their work. I'd like to list them as findings so that it seems a bit orderly for the readers. When deep space exploration ramps up, it will be corporations that name everything, the IBM Stellar Sphere. The Microsoft Galaxy. Planet Starbucks. Jack, sipping stares blankly as his boss enters, Starbucks cup in hand, and hands a stack of reports. Like so many others, I had become a slave to the IKEA nesting instinct. If I saw something clever, like a little coffee table in the shape of yin-yang, I had to have it. I flip through the catalogs and wonder what kind of dining set defines me as a person. I had it all, even the glass dishes with tiny bubbles and imperfections, proof that they were crafted by the honest, hard-working, indigenous peoples of, wherever. Extracting learnings from this particular scene, we can clearly see that the narrator focuses on how consumed he is by this innate need for uniqueness. The brands that have been so thoroughly ingrained in your head that you seek comfort and pride in owning things. For instance, you will see the Starbucks cup of coffee quite a few number of times in the movie, I doubt that it was coincidental. The idea of coffee, the caffeine that keeps you up is directly associated to a Starbucks cup of coffee without our heads even exploring any other option because such is the perception of the brand Starbucks in the heads of the customer. The dialogue where the narrator mentions the clever coffee table in the shape of a yin-yang that he had to have just because of how clever the concept was. Notice how he automatically associates it to a positive adjective, like he is trying to justify the price he is paying for it. This points to the concept of virtual partial ownership which is basically the concept on which the advertising industry thrives on. There's a subtle hint towards recognizing the concept of IKEA effect as well. In turn, no, you can't die of insomnia. Jack, what about narcolepsy? I nod off I wake up in strange places. I have no idea how I got there. In turn, you need to lighten up. Jack, can you please just give me something? Red and blue tuinals, lipstick red saconals. In turn, no. You should get some healthy sleep. Chew some valerian roots and get more exercise. A very interesting concept that is being addressed here is known as the placebo effect. He is literally begging the doctor to give him anything that helps him sleep, but the doctor forces higher grounds that behaving like an irrational person and paying for something that isn't even going to help him in the long term. Elaborating on why the placebo effect even works can be attributed to belief of the patient that it'll work and the other in concise terms would be Pavlov conditioning. This helps us understand how pricing of a particular product drives the efficacy of the placebo. Marla, that's your favorite, too? Tried to slip it by me, huh? Jack, we'll split it. You get it the first and third Sunday of the month. Marla, deal. They shake hands. Jack starts to withdraw his, Marla holds it. Marla, I guess this is goodbye. Jack, let's not make a big deal out of this. She walks toward the door. Jack watches her go. Marla, not looking back, how's this for not making a big deal? Now, if you observe carefully, throughout the movie, Jack's conversations with Marla Singer and Tyler Durden explain yet another concept of consumer behavior, to specifically point out, all the interactions with Marla, 
at least initially were more market norm exchanges, to the point, always thinking about maximizing your own benefit, while that wasn't exactly the case when he interacted with Tyler. It became a mixture of discovering yourself and social norm exchanges with him. Think of it this way, when you're buying undergarments you don't necessarily think about how it would look, or would you? Instead you would care more about the comfort and perhaps even the price or durability. This is what you would call a market norm exchange. Now consider the fact that you go to a mall to shop for a sweatshirt. You will always glance at how good it looks or if it's from a recognizable brand or not, no matter how costly the clothes are, you persuade yourself to believe that it's worth what I am buying. This leads to exploring yet another concept which originates from both biases and the partial virtual ownership of the product wherein the consumer resorts to conveniently come up with a rationale in order to support the decision of his slash her purchase. A lot of brands work on eradicating the first purchase dissonance so that the customer is reassured of his slash her purchase and which eventually would lead to customer retention. Strangers with this kind of honesty make me go a big, rubbery one. If I didn't say anything people always assume the worst. I wasn't really dying. I wasn't host to cancer or parasites, I was the warm little center that the life of this world crowded around. When people think you're dying, they really really listen to you instead of just waiting for their turn to speak. Jack, this chick Marla Singer, did not have testicular cancer. She was a liar, she had no diseases at all. Marla. The big tourist. Her lie reflected my lie. Suddenly I felt nothing, I couldn't cry, so once again, I couldn't sleep. The concept of honest and dishonesty and how humans are honest only to the extent suits them. Not the case when humans have accepted their fate, when they really listen. Portrayed by the self-help groups, in the movie, the author tries to explain the concept how each consumer on a micro level, performs a cost-benefit analysis of being honest and dishonest. So, the best of men are capable of lying, if they actually are able to convince themselves of a convenient rationale which makes lying or being dishonest more convenient than not at the point without sacrificing your bigger morale standards. If you don't know what you want, you end up with a lot you don't need. The problem being addressed to here, is the consumer issue of self-control that arises due to the indecisiveness and the variety of products available in the market. We had front row seats at this theater of mass destruction as Tyler Durden has planned the detonation of several buildings all of which serve as credit card company headquarters. And this particular sequence suggests the solution to this problem, although the solution had to suit the cynical head of Tyler Durden, but he has addressed the initiation of solving the problem. Dan Ariely in his book Predictably Irrational has also mentioned the fact that to counter the indecisiveness created in your head by yourself due to the availability of so many choices combined with the need for uniqueness is basically commanded by things you own. The solution to this as suggested by him is effective self-control and restraint, which would mean putting a limit on credit cards and government intervention through successfully passing relevant policies keeping in mind these irrationalities so that we progress towards a better society. Tyler suggests something similar, only taking things in his own hands and removing the concept of credit and buying power and status and brands to reset the way people have started to behave. Another interesting aspect of Fight Club is how they have aligned their organization that had undying loyalty and passion for the cause while also consisting of many cells-slash-teams capable of operating independent of central leadership. Now a lot of global organizations would like to have a unit as cohesive and as dedicated as the 200-men team that Tyler Durden gathered, which by itself shares distant but similar dedication as in the army or religious bodies. However, that had more to do with the recruitment process rather than the alignment of individuals' goals with the organizational goals, which is content for another time. If you've made it this far, congratulations and thank you. Do feel free to leave a comment if you disagree and why. See you next time.